0: If you're visiting with us, we're thankful and grateful to have you here. Uh, we've had a, um, I guess the word is unusual, but that sounds like a negative thing, a, a different weekend uh, with our youth rally. And uh, so we're glad that you're joining us here at the tail end of that. Um, also, we do have uh, right now going on downstairs a children's worship. And uh, so if you have young children who need to be down there, you're welcome to take them down for the children's worship. We're going to be talking a little bit about, uh, about shame This morning, when I was a little boy, I had a problem that I didn't want anybody to know about. I wet the bed. I remember when my parents, they had asked me a few times about going to camp, and of course, the answer was always, I have absolutely no interest in going to camp, because when you're a bedwetter, that's the last place that you ever want to be. And this year, they didn't ask me. They told me, you're going to camp. And so I had told them that I would do that as long as they would not tell anyone in the whole place that I was a bedwetter. And they said, no, that's not going to go. And I said, we'll keep the circle of trust just as close as possible. And so they told my counselor and they told the camp nurse. And the plan was if I ever wet the bed, they would send everyone else off to breakfast. I would stay behind, strip the bed, take it to the camp nurse. She would then wash the sheets and she would have them back on the bed before anyone even knew what hit them. That was the grand plan. See, there was these things, these parts of myself growing up that are embarrassing. Perhaps we could even say they were things that were shameful. And so when it comes to shame, there is a very natural thing that we do. We hide those things that are shameful. And so that's what we're going to talk a little bit about this morning, is about shame and what we do in the midst of it and what God's doing in it. A definition from a lady by the name of Brene Brown, she says, Shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. And I think to be helpful, we're going to differentiate a little bit between shame and guilt as we talk about these two things. We'll find that guilt will often say, I did something bad. But shame will change that around and instead shame will say, I am something bad. And so if you are ready, getting ready for a test and you perform poorly in that test... If you're dealing with guilt, you will say something to the effect of, I did not study as hard as I should have, and for that reason, I didn't do very well on the test. I'm sure none of you have ever had to say that or deal with that. But shame will say something entirely different. Shame will say instead, I'm so dumb. I don't know why I even try. I will never learn this anyways. You see the difference between shame and And between guilt. I like to think of shame and guilt through the context of a commentary of what happens in a sporting event. And so here's the event. And and I have to apologize to Todd because my character here is named Todd. So just don't think of Todd Loomis while I'm telling you the story, especially after I said that. Todd is a shortstop, and it's a rainy day, a Thursday evening. And on that rainy Thursday evening, as the bases are loaded, of course, as the, we're in the final inning of the game, the ball is hit towards Todd. He does not have his fitting, footing right, and because of the rain, he slips on the way to the ball. The ball scoots past him. Two runs come in, and they lose the game. And the first commentator, he says of that, that this Todd player is the absolute worst player ever. In fact, Todd is an embarrassment to the game of baseball. Todd is the worst shortstop, and I would hate to ever be seen in public with him ever. What a loser. That's one commentary that can happen on that play. But a second commentary is this. Todd missed the ball That, Todd, well, you know, it's kind of the kind of thing that we would expect to happen in the rain. I even saw Cal Ripken Jr. once, one of the best shortstops ever, miss a play just like that on a rainy day. I sure hope that Todd will dust himself up, off, get up and get ready for the next game. You see the difference between the kinds of stories that shame tells and the kinds of stories that guilt tells. Guilt, of course, will narrate and will say, you are bad. Guilt will say, you did bad, but shame, of course, will say, I am bad. And one of the things that we'll find about shame this morning is it loves to hide. Because it is in hiding that shame will grow the most and will flourish the most. Now, imagine this example. I have an embarrassing medical condition, and I decide that I'm so embarrassed about it, I'm not even going to tell my doctor. And so I seek out nothing to help with it. I do find out along the way somehow that this thing that I'm dealing with is cancer, and I really ought to go tell my doctor, but I'm still so embarrassed about even telling my doctor that I think it's just going to go away. And every time I delay, and every moment I delay, that cancer within me gets worse and worse. And it is only until it is shared with those who can help that we can begin to address that problem. So for so many of us, we hide from our shame. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 25. This is the final verse that describes this this life in the garden once everything is as it is to be. And Moses, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes these words, "...and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed." And I'm sure all of you are so jealous of my task of taking teenagers and talking about nakedness and shame... Um, But there is actually this very close correlation between nakedness and shame. At the very least, we could look at this nakedness in a sense of a metaphor of openness and of vulnerability with one another. That there was nothing that was being hidden between Adam and Eve, and nor did they feel any shame about any of those things. See, but we don't live in the Garden of Eden. We know what it's like to feel shame when I was... I was probably eight, maybe nine years old. I was walking home from school, and the neighbor's dog escaped from the fence. And it ran up behind me, and it bit me in my bottom. That was bad enough, except the neighbors, the lady who lived there, I was kitty-cornered to my house. I could see my house just around... She saw it happen and she was, she was mortified that her dog had come and bit me. And so she came out and she said, Craig, what, you know, did it break the skin? I need to see the, see the bite to see what we need to do. And she's trying to yank down on my belt and I'm trying to hold it up and say, No, 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 I'm fine. Because we know to show any sort of nakedness at all is shameful. And it is embarrassing. And so here we have Adam and we have Eve. And they feel no shame even though they are completely open and completely vulnerable. Of course, we know what happens next in the story, Genesis 3 6. She took of the fruit and ate, and he ate it. And what's going to be of interest for us this morning is what happens in the very next verse, verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and they made loincloths for themselves. Again, another sign that we don't live in this day, in this age, in this time. They were satisfied enough about their shame by wearing a loincloth. How many of you that would hide your nakedness well enough if you only had a loincloth? But the loincloth, what it represents is a desire to hide a part of who I am from another human being. Because I have done something shameful and I don't want to stand in front of someone just as I am. So I will cover myself and I will hide myself from other human beings and we over the last several thousand years what we have done is we have protected we have we have perfected this art of hiding ourselves from each other we don't practice openness well we don't practice honesty well and we don't practice vulnerability well sin separates us from each other there's a guy named Parker Palmer and he says we are always living a dividing life, divided life Commuting back and forth between the public world and the hidden world of the soul. So every day you go to work and you commute, you go there and back, and he says every day you're also commuting between a public persona and between a private person within your soul. Soren Kierkegaard says, Do you know that there is an hour that comes when everyone must throw off their mask? See, we don't wear loincloths, do we? We wear masks instead. Ways that hide our sin and things that hide our shame. I mean, think about these following struggles. Eating disorders, struggles with body issue, performance pressures, job performance, sports, academics, pornography, abuse, substance abuse. What is at the very heart and at the very root of all of those things is shame. Shame. These things are so shameful they ought never to be shared in public and so we put on a mask and we never let anyone know what we're really dealing with. Several months ago I had a call from a concerned relative. Uh, A lady was going to their church doing a workshop for those who struggle with same-sex attraction. And they had asked this lady who was doing this workshop and the primary goal of the workshop was to encourage conversation for those who had that struggle if she would get up in front of the group and if she would tell all of those who, who had same-sex attraction that they were going to go to hell. And so I said, no, I, I won't say that. I, I believe those who practice will go to hell, but that's not going to engender what I'm trying to create here, which is an opportunity for people to discuss their struggles. And, and my relative asked what I thought about that, and I said, perhaps if you knew her story a little bit, you would understand why this is so important to her. See, Sally, when she was a young girl, her dad was a deacon in the church. Her dad was well-known, a respected person around the community, and that was one persona. But her dad was also an alcoholic, and her dad was abusive. She tells the story when she was seven or eight years old that she heard some noises coming from her parents' room, and as she walked by the room, she saw her dad there with a yardstick hitting his mom, her mom with that. And she was afraid, of course, and she ran downstairs, and she sat down there, and finally the noise level went down, and Mom came down, and Mom sat Sally on her lap, and Mom said this to Sally. She said, Honey, we can't tell anyone. It would hurt Grandma and Grandpa if they knew, so you can't tell them either. Do you understand, Sally? Nobody. And she says in reflection, I think a part of me died that night. James Bradshaw says families are only as sick as their secrets. So can you see shame at play in Sally's story? This is too shameful. Let's grab not a loincloth, not even a